Well, this morning, uh, we are going to continue a series. Well, Dave's going to even talk about that series. Uh, but last week, if you were here, we started a new series uh, of messages and uh, that Jim and I will be teaching through in the next couple of months. And both of us were very much, gosh, in the last few decades. Oh, he's gone now. Okay. Um, we've very much been uh, shaped, trained, learned from uh, a guy named Dave Johnson. Now, if you're new to Hope, you've maybe seen me quote him a few times here or there. If you've been around Hope for since I've been here, you've heard me overquote him. Um, I'm sure of that. And Dave was with us last year uh, during, uh, well, it was about a year ago right now. Um, and so, you know, out of his great love for Heidi and I and for Hope Covenant Church, he made the sacrifice to leave that Minnesota winter and come down here for a couple of weeks to suffer through this Arizona winter. So, um, uh, but seriously, Dave has been so influential in my life. I remember uh, one church that I was, uh, that I'd started preaching at quite a bit. And one of the pastors after a few weeks said, man, who, these quotes are in, incredibly good, but who is this? How come I've never heard of this Dave Johnson guy? So, um, uh, and, and it really is that good, and it is that wonderfully profound and made such an impact in my life uh, that I'm really excited and glad that this morning, speaking here at Hope Covenant Church, all the way from Maple Grove, Minnesota, will you give a warm welcome to Dave Johnson. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Uh, um, <clears throat> Who is Dave Johnson thing? Um, my my, my uh, favorite thing about that is that I am actually the guy of whom <clears throat> Billy Graham once said, who? Anyway, so that's... <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I am delighted to be back. We got a lot of really good memories of our time together last time I was here, and I was here during Lent. Um, a lot of familiar faces uh, from the men's retreat, from speaking on Sunday did some stuff on Wednesday, and uh, there was something else going on this time last year I, that I remember very well, and that was that you were in the interview process with Jim and Sarah, and um, I even remember there was a day here that you and I were here, Doug, and you had to get away because there was a phone interview, and I also remember vividly, and I didn't know Stacy then, but you had called me at home for a reference about Jim, and I gave that, so I'm just t- telling you, I warned you. So anyway, I warned you, throw it in my fault. Anyway, anyway, gotcha. There you go. No, I'm, I'm, I, you can tell if I'm goofing around like that. I adore these people, and you got some good ones here. So Doug and Heidi and Jim and Sarah, it's just, uh, you have some really good gifts, and they love you like um, a lot. Um, I'm glad to be back with you during Lent, um, and I love it that the vehicle you've chosen as Doug said just a minute ago, was this portion in the Sermon on the Mount known as the Beatitudes, and at least part of why I love that is because the Beatitudes really did have a profound effect on me in the early days of my time at Open Door, on my understanding of the gospel, first of all, and in the shaping of who we actually became as a church, and trusting it's going to have the same effect on you as you walk through this. And what I remember is that as that was happening, as I was teaching that, that many years ago, just going through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, with the people on Sundays, as week after week, the text was unfolding, and my understanding of the Beatitudes was expanding, I found myself surprised. Because having grown up in the church, my dad was a pastor, so I've, I've kind of heard the Beatitudes, maybe like some of you, spoken of often, 
uh, but rarely explained. So I thought about them the way you think about things that you don't actually think about seriously, in part because I didn't really understand them. And, and when you don't really understand some things, especially scriptural things that sound a little uh, out there, you really end up not believing them. Because I really don't believe that the meek inherit the earth. <laughs> really? Like, like in what world is that true? Because meek sounds weak, and it's not the, the weak who win, and I don't really believe that the people who are poor in spirit are the truly blessed people to be deficient in spirit. Never been a fan. I mean, it's not something I aspire to, and while I might nod my head in Sunday school as if I agree, I don't really believe that the happy people are actually the sad people, which it sounds like is being said in verse 5 of chapter 5, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, which sounds like blessed are the bummed, happy are the sad, and I've just had this weird thought in my head my whole life that happy are actually the happy. So I don't get this thing. So uh, for many years, actually, I'm kind of telling you, maybe something that you know about, that the Beatitudes were lost on me. Um, I could hear them, I'd go, yeah, 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 that's true. Um, and while, because while some refer to these Beatitudes and more specifically, the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached. I'd come to see them as the strangest because in my mind, they were saying strange things or at least they seemed to be saying strange things. But I think I always knew somewhere that there was more uh, to the Beatitudes. There had to be more because while Jesus might say some strange things and even some difficult things, I think you know that, um, he doesn't say stupid things. Uh, so it might be worth examining a little further and digging a little deeper because like a treasure hidden in a field, the good stuff, the treasure that's in the field usually isn't found on the surface just laying there, which means sometimes you just have to dig a little bit to find the good stuff. And so it is several years ago in the context of our church is going through the book of Matthew. We finally came to chapter five and we started to dig. And the first thing that became unearthed is something actually that Doug started talking about last uh, week. And, and, and what was unearthed was how different the Beatitudes read to me when you read it in context. Indeed, for the first, the first time, I, it, it was the first time that the Beatitudes read like a story when I read the Beatitudes um, from the context of chapter four, beginning in chapter four. Because when John heard that John the Baptist, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been taken into custody. That's Matthew 4, verse 12. Matthew 4, verse 12, I see now as kind of the starter gun of history because this is where the ministry of Jesus begins. You gotta go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. And so, because when John was taken into custody, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. He's making his move and leaving Nazareth, he, he settles into Capernaum. And then it says, verse 17, that from that moment on, he began to preach and teach. He hadn't done it till now. Now he's going. John the Baptist is arrested. He makes his move. He begins to preach and teach. The kingdom of heaven is within your reach. So his ministry has begun. And then he began to do the next thing. He begins to gather his disciples in verses 18 to 22. First, Peter and Andrew, then James and John, and both of all of them followed him. And then the next thing he did, having gathered his disciples, he begins to move through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, 
proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom of God is within your reach right here and right now. It's not just heaven when you die. And he began also to heal the sick. And the result of that, was when he was healing the sick, was, I think, predictable because in verse 24, it says that this news about him spread. I guess so. Through all of Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. And the result of that was predictable. In verse 25, large crowds followed him. Of course, because he's healing all these people, followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and even from beyond the Jordan. He is a big deal, right? Now, but then he did the most amazing thing that I know Doug touched on last week in chapter five, verse one. And it's something that no mega church pastor I know would ever do because when he saw the multitudes, he didn't go, whoa, <laughs> I'm big, uh, let's keep them. He said he withdrew from them, um, went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him wondering why he did that. And after he sat down, his disciples came and he began, and then he opened his mouth and he began to teach them saying, and this is where the Beatitudes opened up for me because I began, I think he began to teach them saying fundamentally this, I've got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is this, that everything you saw and heard and experienced relative to life in the kingdom of God, the authority and the power of it, the accessibility of it to your life right here and right now, all of it's real and all of it's true. The kingdom of heaven is within you reach the bad news, however, is this. None of it's gonna come the way you think. And none of it's gonna come to who you think or flow through who you think because it's not gonna come to the polished and the proud, to the self-sufficient, to those who look good and know how, but it's actually going to come to those who don't look good and don't know how. So blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm flipping the scorecard on all of you. I'm... Blessed are the poor in spirit who don't look good and don't know how, and they know they don't look good and don't know how. That's why they're hungry for the kingdom of God, which makes the Beatitudes two things at once. And you really need to hang on to the tension here because at one level, the, the Beatitudes is a consolation. There's a great comfort in the, the, the Beatitudes, but at the, on, the, on, the, on the other hand, it's an incredible confrontation. And we don't hear it all the time, but there's an amazing confrontation uh, particularly on those who look good and know how, these people like the Pharisees, who kind of were the iconic embodiment of people who look good and knew how and were proud of how good they looked, particularly religiously. Um, so the bad attitudes is bad news for them because they were relying on how polished and proud they were. Uh, indeed, Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, describes them as being those who polish the outside of the cup and of the bowl, it's very evocative language because the outside of the cup and of the bowl, if it's polished, looks shiny and bright. It's nice. And a lot of people live their lives spending all their energy making sure the outside look good, but good looks good. But on the inside, says Jesus, of them, uh, they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. They're full of arrogance and pride because they already think they have what they need. And because they have what they need, they have no hunger for more or for what the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing. So this is bad news. The Beatitudes are for them because blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and all who weep. And that ain't you. Um, but it's really good news for those who do weep. And I, ironically, this includes, this, this, this embraces almost everybody 
else, particularly in Jesus' day, but it's still true today. It's the people who didn't fit in with the pious religious elite that were always shut out, who are finally hearing, wait, 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 wait. It's not them, it's, it, wait, wait, I, it's us? Yeah, 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 blessed are you. Blessed are the poor in spirit who think they don't have it together, who know they don't have it together. They don't look good, they don't know how. Blessed are those who know they need. Theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven because they alone are the ones who want it and know they need it. Let me clarify some things just quickly here by defining some things just to make the picture as clear as I can because the Greek word uh, translated here in Matthew 5, poor in spirit, uh, is actually one of several Greek words uh, that kind of cover the concept of poverty. You might note that in Luke's gospel, he has kind of a version of the Beatitudes, but the, the, the word there in the Greek, it's a different Greek word. And so in, in Luke, it says, blessed are the poor. And he's talking about sp- physical poverty there, not spiritual poverty, but physical poverty. So that's even a different sermon. Here, the Greek word tokas is, is a poverty of spirit or a brokenness, if you will, of spirit. But it's not broken down. It's brokenness that creates dependence and then hunger for the antidote, which is the grace and power of God. So blessed are the broken who know that by themselves, uh, they can't, um, first of all, save themselves. And by the way, this I can't think this brokenness thing kind of runs the gamut of all of our spiritual life because if you ever came to faith, one of the first things you realized was this, I can't, I can't save myself for it's by grace you have been saved and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of your looking good and knowing how that saved you, but by his mercy he saved you and when you come, came up, recognizing I can't save myself. You came up hungry for that kind of grace which redeems your soul and you come alive in God and all of a sudden you have a new heart so you wanna obey and you wanna, you wanna follow his way and you try really hard and you surround yourself with rules and you do it really well and then you get a gift that doesn't feel like a gift because then you attempt to sanctify yourself and become holy by your own efforts. You hit this wall and guess what you discover? I what, I what, I can't. And what happens is you feel like a horrible failure, but ironically, you come to discover that when you realize you can't, you come up hungry for a filling of the Spirit to do what you can never do. And then you have this desire to serve and go into ministry, maybe. And this is a big one, I think, because when I went into ministry, among the things I knew early was that we were not called to build big buildings and great organizations. Nothing at all wrong with big buildings and great organizations, but but lots of people can do that, honestly. I mean, a lot of really smart people can do that. If you want proof, go downtown. There's bigger buildings downtown than any church you've seen. So a lot of people can build big big, buildings. That was speaking in tongues. Whenever I get that, whenever I get that thing, it's like God saying, slow down, dude. So there I go. what dawned on me early, though, was that those big things that we are really enamored with that look good and because we know how uh, are fine, but what we've really been called to do um, is to help blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk. And I got news for you. You can't do that. By I don't care how funny you are. I don't know how good you preach, well you preach, um, um, how organized you are. If people are going to come to life, there's gonna to have to be a kind of dependence on God to move through things that, so this whole thing of brokenness, it's all over 
the place. And it's not a broken experience. I finally am broken. No, this is a way of living, dependent on God. And it's fascinating to me because this is not just a religious truth. It's just a truth. How many of you are familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous? Lots of you are. Some of you have gone through it. Um, If you haven't, you know about it. And how many of you know that the first step to recovery and freedom from addiction is to recognize that my life is unmanageable and I am what? Powerless. Blessed are the what? Broken. Blessed are those who recognize I can't break this addiction. I don't have it in me. Blessed are the broken who realize they can't. Luke 18, verse 9. A little story around this very thing. Jesus tells this parable a familiar one, I think, to most of you, to some people who trusted in themselves because I can and because they look good and they knew how. And in their kind of pious uh, self-righteousness, because they did look good and they did know how, they viewed other people who didn't look good and didn't know how with contempt. And Jesus says this, two people, here's the story, two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee was praying thus to himself. That's awesome. He's not praying to God. He's praying thus to himself. Self? <laughs> I thank you, God. Nah, he really means self. That I'm not like these other people. Um, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this scummy little tax gatherer over there. They were really lowly regarded. Tax gatherers were not the person you wanted to be. They were seen as actually traitors to the Jews. Um, And here's why I look good. This is what makes me look good. I fast twice a week. He says, I pay tithes of all I get. What could, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. So he looked good and he knew how. But the tax collector, standing some distance away um, from the temple, so he's not even willing. He's kind of in the parking lot going, boy, I'd love to get in that church, but I don't think I'm welcome there. Unwilling to lift his eyes even to heaven, was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner, and you know the story, I think, but here's the deal. If you were actually listening to that story and you actually lived when Jesus lived, the, the, the person you wanna be in that story is not the tax collector. You wanna be the Pharisee. You wanna be the person who's feeling good about how they look and what they know and how they do. Um, and the tax, the tax collector is the loser. <laughs> and you know, I can maybe get the answer right in Sunday school, but I, I don't want to be the person who doesn't look good and doesn't know how. And he, that's where he is. But Jesus says in verse 14, I'm flipping the scorecard on you guys. I'm telling you, it's a tax collector who went down to his house justified, not to Pharisee who looked good and knew how, because whoever exalts himself like that Pharisee, who's all about himself and how he looks, will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself like this tax collector will ultimately be exalted. Here's why. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the blessed ones. Those are the ones to whom my kingdom will come primarily because they know they need it. And when you know you need it, you want it. And guess what? It's not much more complicated than that. Who wants it? Pharisees, full of themselves, had no sense of the need for it. They just liked religion, which was unbelievably empty. Apostle Paul. This is interesting because this kind of illustrates that this attitude of dependence goes beyond just an experience of brokenness where I kind of admit some big sin. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is speaking of of a thorn in his flesh. Remember that? Lots of theories on what that was. Some people thought it was some physical disease 
uh, might have been, I'm, I think, more likely it was the, the, the thorn, I think, even in the context of 1 Corinthians 12, um, there were a group of Judaizers who kind of hounded him all his life. And they were trying to discredit him wherever he went. He doesn't have authority. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not a real disciple. And it, it really um, it, it wounded him. And it, was, it, was, it just bothered him all the time, a thorn in his flesh. So he asked the Lord three times, would you get rid of this opposition that I'm feeling in the church or whatever that might be? And Jesus said, the Lord said to him, Peter, or Paul, um, uh, no, it's, I'm not gonna do that, but here's what you're gonna, you, my grace will be sufficient when you're um, not getting applause from this particular group. Indeed, my power will be per- perfected in weakness. You've heard that verse. My power in you will be perfected in those places where you don't necessarily feel secure because when these people come after you, you feel a little bit vulnerable. But I'm telling you, my power is gonna be revealed when you're feeling vulnerable at times. And they're questioning whether you even have a right to preach at times. So Paul, when the light goes on for him, he says this, okay, okay, then most gladly will I boast in my weakness. I will boast in the fact that I can't change their minds. Indeed, I am content. Deep breath. Because I don't think this is a magic wand. I think you have to work to get to this place. I am content, therefore, with my weaknesses, distresses, and difficulties. Because here what, here's what I believe. When I am weak, then I am strong. Let me add something. When I am weak, then I am dependent. And when I am dependent, then I am strong. So blessed are the broken. Blessed are those who realize they can't, whether you're a brand new Christian or the Apostle Paul, because that brings with it the dependence that releases power. And then there's the disciples. Matthew 18, when I love this, I love this. I love the disciples because they're such idiots. They're so just, they're just, they're just so, they're so like us. They really are. Their humanity is incredibly encouraging to me. Matthew 18, one, they come to Jesus with this question. Looks like a good question. Tell us, Lord, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and I think it is a good question, very legitimate question, if what the question actually is, is about greatness in the kingdom. Like, we're really confused, and we know that your kingdom that you're talking about is different than human kingdom, so could you tell us what greatness looks like in the kingdom that you're talking about? But um, that's not the question I think we're asking, because in Mark's gospel, it reveals that when they ask this question, it doesn't, this doesn't show up in Matthew 18, but in Mark it says that, that when they ask the question, they had already been arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest among them. Um, so they wanted to know which one of us is the greatest, Lord. Which one of us? Look at us. <laughs> which one of us is doing best at looking good and knowing how? Where do we rank? And I'm pretty sure they had an opinion. Each one of them had an opinion about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And the reason I think that is because they were arguing (laughs) about it. Um, And I I don't know for sure, but I have a sneaking suspicion that Peter thought it was Peter. Uh, (laughs) And there might have been some who agreed with Peter. And there was reason to maybe think that because Peter's the guy who got out of the boat and he's the one who walked on water. But someone else who's a little bit observant as well might think uh, or note that uh, he did walk on water, but he also sank like a stone. So, so Peter does some incredible things, but he's nothing if not inconsistent. I mean, that's what he's got going on. 
So I think it's John, the disciple that Jesus loved, and he was the disciple of love because the greatest of these is love, so I think it's John, but sometimes love turns to mush, you know, and won't do the hard thing when we're trying to build an organization and a movement called the kingdom of God. So, so, so maybe it's James who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. One of the sons of thunder is what his name was because guys like that, people like that get things done. But all of us know that sometimes people like that do get things done, but they also destroy people on the way. So you tell us, Lord, we will submit to your discernment on this, which one of us is winning, which one of us is right, which one of us is greatest in the kingdom of God. And in verse two, he calls a child to himself. The word child is significant, it's paideia. So that tells us, I mean, it's a specific word because that means he's about five years old. So picture a little kid in kindergarten, little girl, little boy, and he takes this little kid, puts them in front of them saying, okay, here's the deal, you guys wanna know about greatness. Unless you are converted, which means to turn. It doesn't mean become a Christian. It means unless you are, you need to turn your idea about what greatness is. Unless you are converted and become like this child, you shall not even enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how do you think they respond to that? (laughs) It's just so weird, these verses, because he goes from that parable, that little thing in Matthew 18 to a whole other thing, and we we don't get to unpack how the disciples responded, but it's not hard to imagine when he says that, that their first response had to be, what? Like, it had to be shock. Um, and after the shock maybe wore off, they at least got a bit confused. Like, like maybe they started talking amongst themselves. Like, you know, I, I, don't think you, I don't think you really heard our question. I think you misunderstood the question. Because we didn't ask him who enters the kingdom. We kind of thought we knew that. Um, we wanted to know who was the greatest in the kingdom. And, and he gives us a little child saying, would somebody tell him that we didn't ask him who's the cutest in the kingdom because that kid wins, right? I asked him who's the greatest in the kingdom and he knew that. And knowing that, he takes a child, puts him in front of them and says effectively this, in this child are all the necessary ingredients for greatness. The very thing you're asking about. for Greatness in the kingdom of God. But right now, as of right now, you guys who are all about looking good and knowing how, do not possess the characteristic that is in this child, and now they're scratching their heads, what on earth could that be? Because I'm talking greatness. I'm not talking cuteness. So what is it about this child? What are the characteristics that a kid of five years old um, has that looks like greatness? And again, I grew up in church, so anytime anybody ever I heard talk about this passage, we're talking about children in general. They, they start to romanticize this thing. It's because children are just so full of faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, right? It's like you got to have kids. If you have kids, you go, yeah, yeah. And they just always obey, right? They always obey. Yeah, sometimes they do. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're, their faith is simple and all sorts of other, they're always so selfless. <laughs> yeah. It happened once, I don't know, when I threatened him. Anyway, um, and there's a deal around obedience and faith and all that stuff. Children sometimes are, um, but just sometimes. <laughs> uh, because sometimes they're not. Um, so in truth, what a child is is pretty inconsistent. They do have faith, and they don't, and they do obey, but they don't. 
and they are wonderful and they're irritating and and if not any if they're if nothing more they're inconsistent they're erratic they're wonderful but they're still erratic and what that means is they're just those are all the things the disciples already had thank you very much up here all week they were already the disciples were just like that they were childish not child like already um, because sometimes the disciples believed and sometimes they didn't just like you and me and sometimes the disciples got it and sometimes they didn't and sometimes they obeyed and sometimes they didn't. So if consistency, inconsistency is the mark of greatness in the kingdom of God, they got it. But it's not. <laughs> and, and what I think it is in this child that Jesus never uses words to unpack or explain. I think what this kid embodies is that this kid, five years old, think about it. If you leave this kid alone, put him in the middle of force and walk away, that kid is dead, which means that kid is absolutely Dependent. Um, full faith, not faith, that's not the greatness in the kingdom of heaven is revealed when people realize they can't do it themselves. They can't care for themselves, live on their own. They can't protect themselves. They can't find their way home by themselves like a little kid. And when you realize you can't, you come up hungry for help and power. Um, the life of God in me, and if that began to dawn on the disciples um, as they were watching this kid, I think their confusion might have turned to resistance because they, I think, like the, disciple, uh, the disciples, like most of us, spent most of their lives trying to get over huh, being dependent. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, a kid, I hate, you know, being a kid, you have a wonderful childhood. I hated <laughs> needing. I loved it when I was on my own. And the disciples, they're just human beings, so they weren't any different. Um, to get to the point where I'd never be weak, I'd never need, never be dependent. But I'm telling you, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who know they need and know they can't because they come up hungry, and that's what greatness looks like in the kingdom of heaven. Last story is Peter. In Matthew 26, Peter, I love Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Um, <laughs> here's the scene, here's the scene. Um, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what's to come, and what's to come is his uh, suffering and death. And in verse 31, he says to them this. You guys just need to know. And, and by the way, he's saying this to, to go, there's no shame in what I'm about to tell you, but you're all gonna fall away. He's quoting Zechariah 13, seven here. You're all gonna fall away because of me this night. For it is written in Zechariah 13, seven, I'm going to strike down the shepherd. That's Jesus. He's going to be struck down. And when the shepherd is struck down, the sheep are gonna do what sheep do. It's not that they're bad sheep. They're just gonna do what sheep do. Um, they will be scattered. And um, there's nothing you can do about it. He's telling them something that they're gonna do and they won't be able to not do it because... They're gonna do what sheep do when the shepherd goes down. Here's the promise, however, after I've been raised, we will be regathered, so it'll be ultimately be okay. But you know the story because Peter, after hearing Jesus say that in verse 33, says effectively, um, not me. <laughs> uh, here's the deal, Jesus. Even if everybody else acts like sheep who've lost their shepherd, um, I won't do that. Indeed, even if the prophet Zechariah says we will, 
He's wrong. I won't fall away because I've made my commitment. I've decided to follow Jesus. I have the right stuff. I can. I will. I won't be scattered. I won't be weak, to which Jesus says in verse 34, effectively, yeah, you're right, Peter. (laughs) You got it right. You're not going to be scattered like them. Um, You're actually going to be shattered. For on this very night, verse 34, before the rooster crows one time, you will deny me three times. Indeed, Peter, you... You are going to hit the wall so hard with all your, I can, I will, I won't. In fact, you'll be going 100 miles an hour with, I can, I will, I won't. You're going to hit it so hard that they're going to still be talking about it 2,000 years later in Hope Covenant Church. (laughs) And here's why you're going to hit the wall, Peter, and here's why I'm going to let you hit the wall, Peter, because I love you. And I really want to use you, you big idiot. (laughs) In fact, I want to use you beyond anything you could ever imagine. Um, But if that's ever going to happen, this I can, I will, I won't, this self-sufficient spirit has got to go. And then it happened. You know the story. And 100 miles an hour was, the disciples did scatter. And then the text says that as Jesus was arrested and he was in the house of Caiaphas, Jesus, or Peter, kind of snuck and he was still following along and all the other ones had scattered. And I think in the back of his mind, he's going, see, told you, I'm still here. Everybody else is gone. I'm still here. And then the things happened and the servant girl came and he denied Jesus and he denied him again and he did it three times. And right in the middle of his fierce, I can, I will, I won't, he broke his vow. He did the very thing he promised he'd never do. He denied him three time and times, and, and when he did, he came up broken. He wept bitterly, it says. And at this point, you're thoroughly, if you're Peter, you're thoroughly convinced, it's over for me. Never to be used again. This didn't do anything good for me. This, this just proves that I'm unfit for any kind of service of that kind of king. This failure is final, but it wasn't final um, because what Peter didn't understand, at least in the moment, because he came to understand it, was that his failure didn't disqualify him and neither is yours because it can turn to other things. Actually, his failure, his hitting the wall, actually, in my mind, was the critical moment of his life that prepared him for the work of his life because it was his failure that finally convinced him of something he, he was just too capable of to be convinced of until he hit the wall. And what he needed to be convinced of by this failure was, I can't do it. Um, and I need more than my termination. And all of heaven goes, ah, ha, 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 ha. now I can use you that way. Because blessed are the broken and blessed are those who know they need. One last scene. I, I lied about the final story. This is one last scene. Pull all this together. Um, Matthew 28, Jesus is about to ascend, okay? Jesus is risen. So the resurrection has happened. And uh, 
his, gatherer, his, his, his disciples are gathered. He's about to ascend. And he gives in Matthew 28 what we all refer to as the Great Commission. In verse 18, he says to the disciples and to everyone who's gathered, <clears throat> all authority has been given unto me uh, in heaven and earth, and now I'm giving that authority to you. Go now, therefore, and, and to all the world and, and preach this good news to everyone who will listen. And let me tell you wasn't, what wasn't in the room, as it were. I don't think any of this, well, I'm positive that when he said, go now, therefore, None of the disciples were going, okay, let's go. I will, I won't, I can. None of them, none of them. You know why? Because every one of these disciples were at a place in their lives where they were never, where they'd never been more convinced that they can't. Of their own frailty, they had been convinced because all of them scattered. Peter got, got shattered. But at the same time, they were never more convinced of his power. Why? Because after we went through what every one of them dreaded, that was his death, he was actually raised from the dead. And so they're looking at him going, I've never been more confident of his power. I've never been less confident of mine. And guess what? That's, that's, that's when you're ready to hear, go. In that kind of humility and that kind of dependence on a power that's beyond yours, because they were never more ready to be sent in the power of the Spirit. But there's not once of, one ounce, I don't think, of I can, I will, I won't, to which Jesus says, blessed are you. It's a weird thing. Picture the Great Commission again. Jesus also has been given to me, I'm giving it to you. Go. Um, that's Matthew 28. Freeze frame Matthew 28. Go back to Matthew 5, which is where the start. Okay, Beatitudes. Multitudes there, goes up in the mountain um, to get away and begins to tell them this thing, blessed are the poor in spirit. And all of them, I think, on the mountain are doing what maybe you're doing and I would do if I was sitting there going, yeah, 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 blessed are the broken thing. That's really good stuff. I get it. Um, but messages, sermons about brokenness <laughs> don't produce brokenness. They, they didn't get it. And, but brokenness does. And then the good news starts to flow. When you get that, when you see that, the blessed are those who know they can't. Um, I've read you here. Go ye therefore, Hope Covenant Church. Go ye therefore. It's all amazing. Chandler, Gilbert, and bring this good news that those who don't look good and don't know how are the blessed ones. Blessed are you. For yours is the kingdom of God.